Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. From those who are closest to us to those who are farthest away, it's our relationships with people that often make or break our lives, right? Think about your moments of greatest joy. No, really, like think about your moments of greatest joy, just for a moment. Now, think about your moments of greatest grief. Do you see a theme? There's usually people involved in every one of them. People play a part in our joy, in our grief. Maybe a newfound love, or a hurtful betrayal, or a long-awaited arrival, or a devastating loss. How about your kids? Your brothers, your mothers, your friends, your fathers, your foes, your fiends. The truth is, there's no other sphere in life which generates more joy and more grief than our relationships with others. Most of us, much of who we are, has been formed, deformed, reformed, transformed, and then often deformed again by people. We spend much of our lives working within very complicated relationships, recovering from those relationships which hurt us, and then healing within those relationships that actually help And this can lead many of us to despair. It was the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. Can you say that properly? Because I can't. The French speakers among us can. But he was a French philosopher. He penned the infamous line, hell is other people. You heard that one? It was from his 1944 play, No Exit, where three characters arrive in hell. And they're expecting pitchforks and flames when the reality turns out to be much, much more terrifying. Instead of a torture chamber, they're shown into a plain, ordinary room. And then ever so slowly, they discover that this is it. That this is where they'll be spending eternity, in this room, together, with these people. And that's where you get the line, hell is other people. Because depending on which people you're thinking about, you can kind of begin to feel his point. But by way of contrast, C.S. Lewis in his classic little book, The Great Divorce, he depicts hell as a gray, murky zone where people, unable to stand each other, are constantly moving, moving further and further away from everyone else until they're so far apart, they're just a distant, distant pinprick on the horizon, so far apart that they can't connect with each other anymore, completely isolated, and then they keep moving farther away yet. Hell is other people, Lewis might have agreed, and those living in a living hell simply hate having anything to do with other people. Of course, Sartre and Lewis uh, were just presenting imaginary, fictional ideas of hell that's not designed to explain what comes after death, but it's actually intended to help people grapple or themselves grapple with the complexities we experience now. The fact that people can be the most difficult aspects of our lives. But 
They're also the most significant ones too. I hope you all can point to a few special people who really are a joy to you. There's no greater security than knowing that you are truly loved and accepted by a brother, by a friend. There's no greater joy than finding in another person real delight and seeing someone grow and experience God's grace in each other's lives. Here's something you might find interesting. If you read about the thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts of people who've had a near-death experience, so they've you know, come back and told us about it, many of them were met by a loved one or a group of loved ones who would welcome them on the threshold, it's kind of in the porch of heaven, as it were. They were met by a mom or a dad, brothers, sisters, friends, usually people who recently passed or someone very important played a significant uh, part in their lives. Sometimes kids who've had a near-death experience were met, get this, by a beloved pet. Some of you are going, yes, I knew it. Another common near-death experience that people have is being taken through a life review by Jesus or by sometimes another person in their life, sometimes an angel, where they're shown their relational lives kind of in order, not in a a guilt-inducing, shameful way, but in a way that highlights what matters and what doesn't, and they come back with a renewed sense of that. These are from accounts. It seems that people from, you know, no matter where you look, they form the, the very center of our lives, both here and maybe even after. So maybe we can say that people are heaven too, huh? That's a little nicer. The creator himself said uh, when he formed the first man that it was not good, not good for the solitary man to be alone, revealing something central about our very nature as human beings. We were made for each other. We were created for relationship. So hell is other people? Sadly, that's the experience of some, maybe many, but perhaps Hell is, or heaven is other people too. And, and I don't think that, not only is that I think true for many, but I think it can be the experience and I think it's the desire that God has for all of us. That is, if we will come to sit at the feet of the master Jesus, if we'll learn from him and we'll put his teaching into practice in our lives, if we'll soak up his example and let his growth influence our growth, if we let the Holy Spirit lead us in the way of Jesus, we will flourish relationally just as Jesus did. This is his design and desire for us. Because Jesus, whatever else was true of him, was a man who enjoyed good relationships with other people. Now, I know it's true. Some of you immediately pointed out, it's true. He experienced some conflict in his life. We might have noticed that. Especially as he got further into ministry, closer to the cross, uh, speaking the truth to the abusive power of the religious and political leadership of his day. But it is important to note that conflict is not what characterized the relationships of Jesus. What characterizes his relationships with people can be captured in this little word, In Luke 2.52, favor. We're told that Jesus enjoyed favor with people. Jesus was in people's good graces. And so today, we're launching into the fourth and final part of this little module we've been, you know, exploring in our our larger master class through Luke. We've been taking this one verse, Luke 2.52, and exploring carefully how it is that Jesus grew up and how we can grow up like him. 
in Luke 52, 52 sketches out a, a four-part framework for our growth when we read that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. And we've been walking through this because as, as apprentices of Jesus, the master, we're committed to putting into practice what we're learning. And so as a result, we've been developing our 252 growth plans. I hope you've been working on this. We've got a bit of a quadrant we've been exploring where we have wisdom, stature, favor with God, and today, favor with people. All right? These are the four areas we've been exploring. We're trying to get really specific on developing a plan for these four areas. For wisdom, the plan we've been implementing is immersion immersion in Scripture, that we have some sort of habit plan for getting God's word more deeply into us. And depending on where we're at, we maybe never read the Bible through, we don't read the Bible much, we start with some basic reading plan that gets us into God's word. Maybe you have a regular reading plan, so then you step it up and you start memorizing scripture. I don't know what it is, but we've all been challenged to think, how are we going to immerse ourselves in scripture? For stature, we got really clear that each and every one of us need a health and fitness plan. Some of you told me you had never, ever heard that preached in church. But we need it. And so we've been challenging ourselves to have a specific plan. How are we going to grow in stature? With favor with God, we talked last week, yes, last week, that we need time spent with God. This needs to be actually part of our lives. Again, how we do that exactly, I don't know. That's going to be fit to each one of us, but we've got to have it. So we've been working at developing in these, now in the fourth area, working to develop our 252 growth plans where we're getting really practical about how we implement this into our lives. Today, we're going to explore how Jesus grew in favor with people, the people around him, and how we might imitate that relational growth in our lives. Because it turns out, whether people are hell or heaven has everything to do with how we put the example and teaching of Jesus into practice in our lives. So you ready for this? I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment. Quiet in your heart and mind as we are ready to receive. And maybe just I invite you to just breathe this breath prayer. As you breathe in, as you breathe in, say, Heavenly Father, and you can do it in your mind, you can do it loud, but Heavenly Father, as you breathe in, and then as you breathe out, think the words, thank you for loving me. Do that just a couple times. Thank you for loving me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Well, let's work on this together. I found a selfie of Jesus online this week. There he is. So let's imagine for a moment, we can leave that picture up there. Let's imagine for a moment, how did Jesus grow in favor with people? And I want you to actually try to think, use your imagination here. I want you to try to think of Jesus prior to his public ministry. Before he was healing people, 
before he was teaching all over the place, before he was sparring with religious leaders or revealing himself as the Messiah or casting out demons or feeding thousands of people from a few pieces of bread. So this is pre-baptism Jesus, the first 30 years of his life. Let loose your baptized imaginations for just a moment and ask, how do you think Jesus grew in favor with people prior to his ministry? Hit me with it. He built good stuff. Yeah, he didn't do shoddy work, right? Good. Integrity. What else? Responsible. Uh, for family and siblings. Yeah. What else? Okay. Small favors throughout his community. Um, so he was, you know, helping people. In, yep, good. What else? Kind. He was kind. Thank you. He was truthful. Good. What else? He listened. He listened. Studied, the scriptures. Studied scriptures. Yep. I would say he in the yeah, absolutely. He was part of the worshiping community. Absolutely, we see that. What else? Attended social events. Yeah, yeah, social events. In, in John's gospel, one of the first things we see is going to, going to a wedding, right? Yeah. Respectful, Respectful. good. Respectful yeah, uh, and parents as well, yeah, and others. Anything else going to strike you as you think about it? Seems to have friends with, uh, you know, social events. Seems to have friends with others. I mean, we don't, we don't exactly know. Like, did he develop a, a friendship with Mary and, and, and Martha and Lazarus, like, before ministry? Was that an ongoing friendship he had? He certainly seemed comfortable with sinners. Uh, he hung out with them. Uh, you know, what, what was going on? Did, did he already have, like, this sort of a social orb? Showed compassion. He encouraged people. He was a, a serving member of his of his community. He might have. Every once in a while, did a camping trip out to see that crazy cousin of his out in the bush. <laughs> we'll learn, we'll be we'll be we'll be uh, getting into John next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His cousin. Yeah, no condemnation of others. People actually liked to be around him. I mean, that was true later for sure, and it would have been true there. Yeah. Yeah. Developing leadership skills. All these ways and more, Jesus was growing in favor. And what we see, I think we can surmise this with a fairly high degree of certainty, is that Jesus was an emotionally healthy, compassionately loving, humble presence in the lives of the people around him as he worked and worshipped, as he engaged and served. And as a result, his way of being among people, Luke tells us, was characterized by favor. 
Last week, we explored a little bit of what that word means. It's charis in Greek. It's grace. That is, people loved him. They they liked to be around him. They found him caring and compassionate and trustworthy. They found him humble, but not groveling. They found him encouraging, but not flattering. Uh, Truthful, but never unkind. People actually like Jesus. Andy Stanley has that great line. He says, people that look nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And this would have been true in his life. It's a, it's a great way of saying that people favored him. We can say it. Jesus was a good guy, you know? But like, yeah, let's go to Jesus. Let's, let's go hang out with him. The first three areas of, of Jesus' growth in Luke 2.52 are all part of this fourth area, this relational favor. And when we think about how that works out in our lives, it's important to see how these first three areas contribute to favor in relationships with others. When you're immersed in the story of God so that you're growing in wisdom and living a life that is increasingly aligned with God's word and God's ways and God's will, when you're actively caring for your body, the temple of the living God through regular health and fitness, eating properly, exercising, so you have a vibrant, healthy, strong life, And when you're fostering a growing relationship with the Father through regular spent time with, quality time in conversation and prayer, receiving the Father's delight, you are then set up to love others from a place of grace. These first three, in some sense, platform the fourth. They enable us to live with so much more compassion, to serve with so much more grace, Because we are doing that confident in the Father's delight. Able to humbly engage the relationships around us. There's kind of an order to it. When we're growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, we are equipped to love others the way that Jesus did. And that will result in growth in favor. Now, I know that we we all know, right? We aren't Jesus, And in all these four areas, we know that we're starting from a deficit, right? (laughs) I know I am. And perhaps in this area of relationships, it's even more obvious. We're starting from a deficit. We're somewhere down in the hole, right? Unlike Jesus, we are sinful, hurting, and harmful people living in a world that it seems filled with sinful, hurting, harmful people. And even at our best, we can be pretty crummy. Anyone else agree with that? Even at our best, we can be pretty lousy. And Jesus, well, you know, he was sinless. (laughs) Perfectly human. Let's not forget that. Perfectly human. And whatever temptations he may have had to be selfish, to nurse petty grievances, to share that bit of juicy gossip, to, you know, he didn't give in to those temptations. So he, Jesus, did not have to suffer the relational consequences of his sin in his life like we do. Actually, it was worse for him because though he didn't have to suffer the relational consequences of his sin, guess what? He had to suffer the relational consequences of yours and mine. And he did it thankfully. He did it gratefully. He did it for us. So thank you, Jesus. That's why you're favored in our books. But just because we're starting from a relational deficit compared to Jesus doesn't mean that we can't imitate, that we shouldn't try to imitate Jesus in his relational growth. We can. 
The Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can. And in fact, in our relationships, that's where God wants to bring about the greatest transformation in our lives. And as I read it, you'll note how in the Bible, it's in our relationships with each other that we're to mimic the example of Jesus. I mean, isn't that what the Apostle Paul was trying to get at? in his letter to the Philippian Christians, when he said these words, he said, uh, this is started chapter two, he said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having, listen to this, the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And now listen to this line. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do you get that? In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And it goes on to talk about how he's exalted. Beautiful, beautiful. But, but the point there is to see that what we're told through scripture is to look at Jesus and begin to mimic, follow, form ourselves, be growing like him relationally, following in his steps. Jesus is the model that we follow for our growing favor with people. And while there will be conflicts and difficulties and relational struggles in our lives that really do seem impossible, irreconcilable, drive us crazy, what we discover is that it is in those greatest relational challenges, it's right there that we will experience our most significant spiritual health and growth, our significant emotional maturity and depth in Christ. Our relationships with others is often the means through which Jesus will grow us up in him. It's the way he does it. And sometimes it's those really painful ones that Jesus uses to grow us. Our relationships, even right here, whether it's in our immediate family, whether it's here in the church, these will be the ways that we're formed and reformed by the Spirit. Doesn't always mean that those relationships are going to become good or become healed or everything will become okay, but Jesus will use these areas of struggle to bring new life in us. The New Testament teaching on this is really clear. Virtually all the teaching on what it means to follow Jesus that we receive from the apostles has to do with how we are to now love each other as the new creation people of God who've been filled with the spirit of God. In other words, your identity has changed and now this is how you are to love. And we quickly discover that we can't be the children of God without each other. I need you and you need me. Not only because we're part of the same family, but the actual work that God wants to do in you and in me, it can only happen in the mix of relationships. Some of them pretty complicated. How do you become more loving? Well, only by loving others, right? How do you grow in patience? In relationships that require patience. Oh, we wish that was not true. How do you increase in compassion? By being in a relationship with those who need compassion, who have needs. How do we learn to forgive when others hurt us? 
By forgiving others who hurt us. How do we experience forgiveness when we hurt others? By humbling ourselves and asking for forgiveness. All of this favor-making happens in relationships as we're led by the Spirit to love as we have been loved. And this is why the church, this is why the family of God is central to what God is doing in the world and what he wants to do in you, what he is doing in you. It is here in this community of saints who are sinners that the Spirit is remaking us together in relationship with each other, reforming us into the image of Jesus. So how do we get practical here? How do we implement this? How do we grow in favor with people as Jesus did? Well, at the risk of being repetitive, you you know I run that risk all the time, let me remind you again, because I know it's probably only about If I were thinking really, really optimistically, and I'm a bit of an optimist, I would say half of you maybe have written out a plan for your 252 growth. Maybe half of you. And so, repetition? Well, let me remind you again that as we think about how we're going to implement a practice here, that first we need to be implementing these practices. This is square one. Immersion in the word, a God-honoring health and fitness plan, and time spent with God. That's all connected. We need to be implementing these three practices. But what about this fourth? What's a concrete practice? Because these are really concrete, you know. I read the Bible every day. I go for a walk three, four times a week. I join a gym, whatever. I, I actually look for uh, and schedule some, some, a couple times during the week where I get away for half an hour to talk with God. Those are really implementable, really practical. What is going to show up in that category? What do you think might be a concrete practice that we could implement into our lives so that we're growing in favor with people like Jesus? Now, some of you could say, well, we could write, love others. Be kind. Or, um, tone down the volume. I don't know. There, there could be some different things in there. And those are all real things. The Holy Spirit might be highlighting that in your life. All of that might help you. But it's a little hard to implement as a habit a practice. I prayed long and hard about this because this is one area where an obvious practice didn't just leap out, at least to me, didn't just leap out from the example of Jesus. We have to sort of, we have to sort of step back, try to take in the whole picture and glean also from our brothers and sisters down through the centuries. But upon reflection and prayer, I want to offer you a concrete practice that if you were to implement it in your life, it would move you closer to God's desire for you relationally. And here it is. In order to grow in favor with others, we must implement a practice of relational reflection. Now, relational reflection, and some of you are saying, what is that? Because it can seem a little bit nebulous. Rela- great. Great. I get the gym thing. I get a reading plan. I even get time spent with God. What is a practice of relational reflection? Stick with me because it's actually very concrete. There's a variety of ways we can get to that, just like there are in the other areas. 
But what I'm calling to, for, for you to implement into your life is a way of regularly and prayerfully reflecting on what is happening in your relationships. A regular, prayerful way of reflecting on what is happening in your relationships. Because we all need a practiced habit of asking why. Why things are happening the way they're happening so that we can notice a recurring pattern. A recurring pattern of conflict or hurt. Like, why do my wife and I always get reactive and start arguing about money? Not my wife and I. This is an example. We we argue about other things. We all need a way of stepping back to identify our hang-ups or our triggers or our sneaky habits that keep sabotaging our relationships. Like, why do I always disengage when my friend starts asking me about my walk with God? Why do I just go, whoa, let's grab a pizza or something? Like, why do I disengage? We all need a means of getting honest about our sin, about our attitudes, about our prejudices or our reactions, about ways that we've been hurt or have been hurting others. Like, why do I always feel shame whenever I think about my mom or whenever she calls me on the phone? No, I don't need to take that. Not my mom. Hmm. Most of us don't actually have this. We don't have a regular way of reflecting on these patterns. And so things just keep happening. Breaks just keep occurring. Conflicts just keep surfacing. Shouting matches and, and, and cutoffs and weird stuff. And, and you've got this really best friend for a while and then poof, they're gone. And you're, I don't know. And then you just go on with your life and we have no means of engaging. Like, why is that happening? And letting the Holy Spirit lead us to relational health. We don't have a practice of relational reflection. But a practice of relational reflection, I want to be clear, it's not just so that we can notice the conflicts or the hardships. It's actually a way of also noticing where we're experiencing grace and delight and growth. Because we all need a practice habit of celebrating that growth when things are actually working better. Like, hey, the other day, instead of having a big, long, drawn-out squabble with my kid, we were laughing together. We were sharing stories. That was awesome. Why did that happen? Think about it. We all need a way of stepping back and noticing how we were maybe able to de-escalate a conflict rather than ramping it up. Or moments when we were actually feeling secure in a relationship. Like, oh, wow. I noticed that when I lowered my voice instead of raising it, the whole tone of the conversation was better. We all need a way of getting honest about our growing strengths or our deepest joys or our wonderful friendships or our treasured conversations about ways that we are feeling loved and we're loving others. Like being able to say, you know what? After I walk with my spiritual friend, I always feel so encouraged. Note that. We all need a way of identifying patterns of both relational favor and relational failure so that we can pray and repent and grow and learn and celebrate and enjoy. But this can be very tricky, and I know that, because digging into our relational realities can be soul-crushing. 
Some of, some of us carry so much shame, so much guilt, so much regret. I get it. I really do. This is why we've got to be careful, especially those of us who are carrying a lot of heartache or caught in an impossible conflict or there seems to be irreconcilable things happening in our relationships. This is why, and I want to underscore it, this is why it is absolutely crucial, once again, to have these three areas being implemented into our lives. We have to be immersed in God's word. We have to be pursuing health for our bodies. We have to be spending loads of time with the Father. It's only when that stuff is happening that we can engage this relational reflection in a way that brings life. When we know that we are loved by the Father, we don't then engage in relationships with people trying to grasp for something from them that we only can get from God. It's very, very important. But if these things are in order, we're able to truly engage in a relational reflection that isn't shame-inducing and soul-crushing, but actually can lead us to life. So with that being said, what might a practice of relational reflection look like in your life I'm going to give you five suggestions. Five ways that this can happen. These are tried and true. Your brothers and sisters, alive today and down to the ages, have used these to good effect. Tried and true. Here they are. The first one will not surprise you because I beat on this drum harder than I beat on virtually any other. And that is the practice of spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. That is someone that you can get together with. First of all, I believe spiritual friendship, as I've emphasized before, is really about hearing how God is at work in each other's lives and then praying for each other. But it is a confidential, safe place where you can process together some of what's going on for you relationally. An opportunity to assess that and reflect on that with a trusted friend. Now, I want to be clear. This is not about gossiping. This is not about negatively venting about your spouse or your friend or your mom. This is actually about having an open, honest conversation where it's actually about your reactivity. It's about your growth. It's about your attitude. It's about reflecting on the patterns that you are contributing to. But to do that with a spiritual friend, to do that in the context of spiritual friendship, I don't think that should be all that your spiritual friendship is about. I want to be clear. I think spiritual friendship is about all of it, actually. It's about just walking with someone and asking them how they're doing and reflecting together and praying for each other. But it is in the context of that spiritual friendship that can be a beautiful way of practicing relational reflection. You can do this for each other and with each other. The second way is through spiritual direction, direction and or counseling. And this is with, I am not spelling that right, counseling, there we go. This is where you have set up uh, an appointment with a trained spiritual director. That is a person who's been trained to actually listen to you talk and reflect back what they're hearing from you in terms of your relationship with God and the context of your relationships. A trained spiritual director or an accredited 
counselor. This is where you realize maybe I do need someone to help me try to untangle, try to notice patterns. And I, I, I maybe don't have a spiritual friend or, or maybe I just feel like I need someone more than that. Maybe someone a little bit removed. You can look for someone book an appointment. Maybe it's only six weeks, eight weeks. Maybe it's a few months. Maybe it's a whole year. I don't know. But you can look for someone that can help guide you and even get started on a kind of noticing of patterns, reflecting on conflict, trying to grow in relational favor as you understand yourself in the context of what God is doing. So the practice of spiritual direction or, and or counseling is good. I, I certainly practice that. I meet with a spiritual director monthly and a counselor on a need basis and then practice spiritual friendship as well, just to say that. Um, The third practice I've also been mentioning to you. Notice that? I I try not to throw new things at you all the time. And that is the practice of journaling. Um, The practice of journaling is a powerful way of relational reflection where you can take a moment Maybe it was a fight you had yesterday with somebody in your life, or maybe it was a feeling that you had in reaction to something you heard or something that occurred. And you can go to your journal, make sure it's confidential, go to your journal, and you can process that experience on the written page. They have shown time and time again through study after study that there is an incredible power in journaling about... uh, a reactive event, something that you have had struggle with, to process that on the page. It's quite private. It should be completely private, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's private, and yet it has the power of externalizing it, and you can do that prayerfully. In my journal, it often switches between me sort of narrating things, talking about what's going on, and then also writing directly to God, like prayers. And so it's kind of this mishmash, and no one's going to read it. So, you know, it's just me just flowing from, from kind of narration to prayer to request to, to comments. Uh, it's a powerful way of reflecting on what is happening. Uh, you know that I've been instilling, it's one of my 2023 goals is to instill a, a journaling habit, a daily journaling habit. And I can tell you already in, in here the first uh, six weeks of, of 2023 that there's been a number of times where I've had a, a, a situation that has troubled me and being able to take it to the journal and process through that and reflect on that and think through like, why am I feeling this way? Why, do I, why did I react that way? What's going on here? And just being able to free flow journal that has been a powerful way that God has helped me. So I offer that to you. Again, many, many, many brothers and sisters down through the ages have used the habit of journaling. Uh, the fourth one I want to suggest to you is the practice of the examine. The examine is a simple way of asking daily or in a larger context, you look for what was your high and low, what was your joy and sorrow, uh, what encouraged you, what discouraged you, what were you grateful for, what were you not grateful for. Um, It's a very powerful tool, especially if you use it regularly, to begin to notice patterns. So that say, say you're doing a daily exam and where you're jotting down your, your, what gave you joy today, what gave you sorrow today, and where do you see God in the mix? And then you look back at your month and realize like, wow, I was, uh, my, my lows of, you know, January were this consistent conflict I had with this person, for example. Or my consistent joys had to do with this thing that was going on in a friend's life. It helps you begin to notice patterns so that you can more clearly begin to reflect on what is actually happening in your life. Again, tried and true. People have done that for hundreds of years. It is a great practice. 
And then the fifth uh, practice that I want to throw out to you is actually a getaway, uh, a getaway retreat. I'll just put retreat. Now, these retreats can be short or long, but the idea is that you actually schedule some time. It could just be an hour at a coffee shop. It could be a morning. It could be a day away or a night away. I mean, whatever kind of works for you in your life, I get it. That can be different. But it's the idea of, of taking time to actually then reflect on what's happening. You might journal. You might jot notes. You might just think. You might just pray, read scripture, take a rest, whatever. But it's the idea of having a bit of a getaway that you can then take some time to think through and pray through what's actually been going on in your life relationally and let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. So friends, these are five tried and true practices. You can actually do them all, but at the risk of overwhelming you, I would say pick one, pick two. But pick them. Do something. Do something that will help you prayerfully examine and thoughtfully respond to what is actually going on in your life relationally. These aren't magical. They're just like any other habit or practice. What they do is they position you to receive what God has for you. They position you to do the work. They just simply often just carve out enough intentionality and space that you can notice what's been actually staring you in the face the whole time, but you haven't been able to slow down or you haven't slowed down enough to notice it. These are practices that you can integrate into your daily, weekly, monthly lives because we all need it. Every one of us need a way of examining ourselves before the Lord, of being honest with compassion coming to know ourselves as we're coming to know God. These things are intimately related so that the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit will help us respond in the relationships we're in, but filled up with the delight of the Father as we do it. This is crucial. As we've been saying all along, I've been encouraging you to take in all four areas to do three things as you take this away. And so in all areas, I've been encouraging you to pray, to plan, and to practice. That is, first, when you ask, what should I do here? How do I grow in favor with people? What should be the relational reflection I have? First, you pray about it. You just take it to Jesus. You take it to the Father. You say, I want to grow in relational favor. I've got some messes I don't know how to clean up. I've got some patterns I can hardly even put my finger on. Would you help me, Lord Jesus, to grow in relational favor? It starts there. Just pray about it. Ask. Ask for help. Look at the life of Jesus and say, wow, Jesus, I want to follow your example. I want to mimic your behavior. I want to have the same attitude in my mind that you had when you humbled yourself and became a servant. I want to actually live like that. So tell him that. Express your desire, your intention. Actually, ask Jesus for his help. And ask him, what would be helpful for me? In prayer, in conversation with the Father, ask, what would be a helpful practice for my life, Lord? Do I need to actually find a spiritual friend? Do I need to seek a counselor? Do I need to buy a journal? You know, what is it, Lord? Trust him to lead you and guide you. So pray first. And then we plan. We actually plan what we're going to do. We actually get concrete about it. We actually decide, okay, I'm going to book some time away. I'm going to 
buy a journal. I'm going to call that friend for a walk. I'm going to seek out a spiritual director. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to ask Tom. Whatever it is, plan for it. Because just praying about it and asking but not planning is kind of like hearing the words of Jesus but not putting them into practice. So we want to plan it. And then, of course, we want to actually do it, make it happen, schedule it, ask for accountability, do whatever it takes to actually begin to implement this in your life. And when we're starting a new habit, starting a new thing, sometimes you have to put a little bit of structure around that. I know I do so that I don't miss, so that I'm putting something into place so I keep doing it until it becomes an ingrained habit that I am likely not to forget. So we pray, we plan, and we practice. My friends, I know This has been the slowest walk through a verse of the Bible that you have ever had. (laughs) And just so you know, it has been the slowest walk through a Bible verse that I've ever had too. Can you believe it? Four full sermons on one verse. Do not tell people outside the church that I did that to you. (laughs) But my heart for you is this that we would actually take the word of God and put it into practice. And I am absolutely convinced that as a church, if we will immerse ourselves in the story of God, if we will seek health and honor God with our bodies, if we will be taking time to be with the Father and know his delight in us, and if we are relationally reflecting and seeking God's direction in our relationships, friends, just imagine for a moment what's going to happen in your life. Just imagine what's going to happen in your family life. Just imagine the kind of growth you're going to experience within yourself. Just think for a moment what that might do for our relationships in community and here in the church. Could it be, could it be that the father will say to the son, look at Erickson Covenant Church. They're they're looking a lot like you, son. (laughs) They're looking a lot like you. They're growing in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with people. Friends, I hope you want it. I want it. Do you want it? You want it? Yeah, let's want it. Let's go after it. Let's be that house well built putting into practice the teaching of Jesus. Let me pray for you. I think our team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. Lord Jesus, we look to you as our model, as our example, as our Lord and our master. And here in this context of this master class, we desire to put into practice what you are teaching us, how you are leading us. And so for each and every one today, Lord, I know there are things that hang us up, that slow us down. I know there are things that distract us. And I just ask that you would help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Actually begin to take the steps forward that you want us to take so that we are really growing up like you. I pray this for each and every one today. I pray this for our kids our youth. I pray this for those who are already feeling that they've become disconnected, that there be a reconnection. I pray for those who are feeling lonely or lost. I pray for those who are feeling, even right now, carrying a lot of shame or ache or hurt in relationships. Each and every one, Lord Jesus, 
would we simply respond to your words and follow after you, knowing that you have promised if we will come to you and hear your words and put them into practice, we'll be like that man who built a house, digging down deep and laying a foundation on rocks so that when a flood comes, the moment that torrents strike our houses, we will not collapse. We will stand in you. May that be true of us, Lord. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.